0: Hi, everybody. This is Brian Janikowski's Market Chat on uh, June the 2nd, 2017. This is Christian Thwaites.
1: And this is Emily taken And and let's get started. So Christian, I wanted to start out with the economic data. Uh, This week, we saw the unemployment rate fall to 4.3%, which is the lowest level in 16 years. But we've also seen a run of uh, weaker economic data for a while now. We've got low inflation. Um, um, low weight, low wage growth. How do we reconcile these these things?
0: Um, it, it's difficult. It, it, it does seem as if the first quarter we knew was was going to be weak. I think a lot of that is just seasonal adjustments that the uh, that the B S has not kept track with. So the original print, if you remember, came in about 0.7%. It was revised up to 1.2%. So people were looking for the second quarter for a rebound, but so far the data has been in, uh, unencouraging. Uh, You know, as you mentioned, the, uh, the non-farm payroll numbers on Friday were not great. People were expecting 200,000, came in at quite a bit below that, about 138,000. Um, and wage growth stalled out. People are really looking for that one to, for some sort of uptick. Uh, hours worked was about the same, sort of unchanged. It doesn't seem like the workforce is that much busier. And then early in the week, we had low PCE numbers. This is the rather R. Uh, arcane inflation measure that the Fed uses but it was much l- lower than expected and then to top it off on Friday we also had weak trade numbers for April so uh, that's the first month of the second quarter and it was weaker than expected so <coughs> I'm losing my voice here so the so the concern is slightly that the uh, the economic data is is looking weaker for the second quarter.
1: And how will the economy grow more rapidly with this low unemployment rate? Uh, is this people just falling out of the labor market um, that potentially may come back in? But how, are, how do we get an uptick in economic growth if we already have 4.3% unemployment?
0: That is the question of the day, and I think uh, it, it's, it's baffled economists. I'm sure some parts, the more thoughtful parts of the Fed governors are thinking about it all the time. Um, it falls into a couple of camps. Personally, I feel that its uh, labor force participation is down. It's uh, it's down to about 62%. It actually fell a little bit uh, this last payroll number. Um, so you won't really get much of an uptick unless there's more participation in the labor force, which suggests that the unemployment numbers are artificially low at the moment. So the, the, uh, um, the U6 unemployment, which measures... Uh, people who are working part-time for economic reasons is still pretty high. It's about 8%. So in answer to your question, I think that the only way we get more robust economic growth is with more people coming to the labor force. And that's either, you either do that through immigration, (laughs) which uh, we know is sort of off the cards for right now. Um, Otherwise, with demographics being pretty certain, the only way you get to do it is if you have more people working, and they're only going to do that if they feel that the uh, economic benefits outweigh the, uh, the the cost of things like home health care and extra taxes and so on. So it's difficult to see. Again, keep on coming back to this. I know we discussed it last week. How you can really get much more than two percent on a consistent basis. You might get it on a quarter quarter basis, but consistent basis is tough to see.
1: You also mentioned kind of in slicing and dicing these employment numbers. That most of the the pickup uh, in employment over the last you know six months. Besides this, these last uh, job numbers that came out, were in lower-paying kind of retail service sectors, um, and I went and I attended the F, uh, the FPA Financial Planning Association conference uh, this week and saw Sal Khan who um, uh, started Khan Academy, and he mentioned that uh, that the number one job held in red states that voted for Donald Trump was a trucker, um, and are we going to be able to see wage growth, to see pickup in terms of uh, employment um, or full employment, if we have a larger kind of looming challenge of um, industries that are falling out of favor um, and others that are really experiencing uh, a lot of um, trouble in terms of finding qualified workers?
0: Uh the trucker statistic isn't right. I, I think um, the, the, you know, the, the number of truckers in the US is about a million, I think, out of a workforce, about 130, and is dwarfed by people working in retail and healthcare and services. So I don't think that the number one occupation in the red states can possibly be truckers, unless you're including uh, you know, every single driver, or you know, part-time or full-time. But um, no, I, I, I think it's very, and then obviously the trucking begs the question, what about uh, robotics and self-driving and how are people mm-hmm. going to be retrained for that? And I, and I think it's, again, one of the big economic problems of the day. How do we take people whose jobs uh, are threatened by automation and, uh, and move them into uh, um, equally paying jobs, um, which might be in a totally different industry. And I think this is, this is why there's such discontent in parts of the economy and, and the country about the, the uh, economic job prospects. And to some extent, these, this last round of economic numbers is supporting that case. It's just, it just seems very difficult to move the economy uh, off into a, you know, a higher wage earning, higher, you know, markedly higher disposable income, uh, standard of living type of growth uh, uh, spectrum.
1: I also want to turn to financials now um, because given that um, you know financials tend to reflect uh, you know the the larger economy uh, you know they came roaring back in the beginning of the year with the uh, the Trump trade so to speak in terms of expectations of higher inflation, higher growth. What have they been doing since then and what can that tell us about the economy, the larger economy?
0: Yeah. Well, uh, you're absolutely right. They came out of the uh, out, out of the uh, post-election, they kind of roared ahead. I think they're up uh, 14% right out of the gate, maybe even a bit more. And I think what people felt was uh, that they would benefit from deregulation. You know, clearly we had Dodd-Frank over most of the industry and I think they, uh, I think Investors felt with less regulation that would free up some costs and some capital. Um, there was certainly more trading in the air and a lot of these large banks now, this the money center banks, Morgan Stanley's, Credit Suisse, Goldman Sachs, Bank of America and so on, uh, make a lot of money just simply trading stocks and bonds. So they thought they get more you know, volume out of that and they also get more Securities security is an underwriting business, which is very profitable. Um, and then they th- also thought that there would be uh, increased consumer demand, so that just comes right into lower, a uh, higher uh, loan demand and, and credit card uh, demand and so on. Well each one of those has been slightly less than people expected. The deregulation is still in the air, there hasn't been a lot of new regulation, but it doesn't seem a huge amount of appetite for, uh, you know, d- the um, uh, Dodd-Frank to be you know, torn down brick by brick. Um, and the uh, capital markets have been low, as we've discussed here before. You know, when, when VIX and volatility is low, it doesn't doesn't bode well for a trading desk or a, or a market maker, and this is where it's a very profitable part of these large banks' business. And then loan demand. You know, loan demand, it was up about 4% in the January, February. Since then, it's sort of rolled over a little bit to 3%. You're not going to get a lot of you know, consumer loan demand unless... Uh, you know, unless people feel really confident about their jobs and, and wage prospects. As we have discussed earlier in this podcast, that doesn't seem to be the case. And also, I don't know if you remember uh, or, or seen the last couple of weeks, there's been a big clampdown on subprime lending for autos. This really took off a few uh, years ago, and now these banks are holding very large auto loans, in you know, perhaps at subprime uh, credit ratings. And so we've seen that in the used car prices, which have been extremely weak. They're down about five, six percent because there's a lot of leases that are now coming up. There's depressing used car sales because there's so many of them. Uh, And I think also some of the uh, underwriting standards have been, have, uh, have, got a bit stricter. So uh, that auto loan demand isn't quite as large as it was either. So yeah, I put all that together. And I think banking is a deservedly boring business. And uh, so it's going to reflect more broad economic growth rather than, uh, you know, a huge amount of um, uh, industry growth.
1: Great. Let's turn now to overseas. Uh, we've been talking about Europe since the beginning of the year. We've been talking about Japan for the last month or so. Can you give us an update on these markets and uh, how, how they're materializing?
0: Well, everything's held up pretty well this week. We've seen record numbers on stocks. We saw U.S. stocks, bond markets are at their highest this year. Eurozone seems to be ticking along well. And then we've included this week uh, some commentary on Japan which again has been pretty robust market. It's up about 33% over the last year, about 37% for a dollar investor because of the modest appreciation of the yen. Um, and really, we, we're expecting some of these reforms to start kicking in. Uh, Smaller mid-cap Japanese stocks have done very well. That's very much a domestic facing rather than export type of business. Um, and uh, we've also seen some of the labor reform and also this commitment to uh, uh, quantitative easing. So all of these coming together, we think, is a slightly better picture for, for Japanese stocks. But I will say that this is a market which has there's been a lot of false storms over the years. Um, it's it's up strongly uh, in the last uh, you know, a year or so, but it was also at this level two years ago. so we just got to watch it carefully and, uh, and, and make sure that the fundamentals which so far look good, continue that way.
1: And how about Europe? I've been hearing a lot of talk about Europe just in the media and you know now that people are paying attention to it more, um, how you know do you think that this has, has room to run? I mean if you were if you were saying, okay, should I get into Europe now? Is it too late? Or, or do you think that this is going to continue, this trajectory is going to continue for a while?
0: Well, I think, you know, markets don't go straight up without without uh, consolidating for a while. And I think, I hope we're in one of those phases now. The markets remained pretty strong last week. I mean, the numbers are good coming out of Europe. I think that, uh, you know, there's still some uh, political concerns as a election in the UK next week, but that doesn't really affect uh, continental Europe very much. Um, and the, the some of the disquiet about Europe has definitely been uh lightened. So, uh, I, I think what we're seeing is just slowly recovering growth. You know, uh, interesting to note one of the biggest the biggest stock on the Swiss stock exchange, Nestle. So, that's a pretty big, pretty big stock that's overweight in nearly every international portfolio. It's up 25% this year. So, um there are there are certainly indications that things are, are, are getting better and um, and the and the fundamentals, economic growth, consumer confidence, interest, low interest rates, inflation's still a problem in the sense that they can't even get any. But uh, but generally, some of this some you know, some of the sort of European outlook is uh, is pretty positive, and I think it's going to remain that way.
1: Thank you, Christian. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next week.
0: Thanks, Emily. And here's the disclosure. Please note this discussion of our investments, investment strategy, including our research investment process represents our investments, investment strategy, the data this commentary is subject to change without notice. We cannot assure the type of investment discussed in this commentary will forming any other investment strategy in the future, nor can we guarantee that such investments will present the best or an attractive risk adjusted investment in the future. So for general information purposes, references to an individual security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell a seller. security. Securities mentioned in this commentary are several of the successful and unsuccessful investments past and represent all the securities we have purchased or recommended. Although we deem reliable sources of the statistical and other information referred to in this commentary, we cannot guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any statements or numerical data past performance is no indication of future results.